Backroom Politics. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. Joining me as they do every Tuesday to my left, he is the man that has served in your United States Navy as a one-star admiral. He is the retired man we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, good afternoon. Good afternoon. And how do I end up on the left? I don't know. Amazing. Yeah. Today's all kind of screwed. Yeah. We, don't have a, we don't have the microphone. It's a really weird setup, uh, but it's a press club at least. Yay. And I'm on the left. And you're on the left. And directly across from me, ironically, he is the man who has served at last count under four presidents. He is the former Undersecretary of Commerce and longtime Washington, or longtime set of staffer, longtime Washington insider. He is the man that we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. So, big, big day here in Washington news-wise. We've got a lot to talk about today, but we got to start with the breaking news. Uh, pretty historic vote. I guess, I guess you can call it historic, Alan? Or, no, no, all right. The, the media, the, the rest of the media was hyping it that way. Much to do about nothing. So, anyway, in case you were concerned, uh, the GOP in a squeaker vote, 5150, got the authorization to bring the health care debate to the floor of the Senate. Uh, it was, again, as much as anything in Washington these days, not without political drama, but I will tell you this, it is pretty amazing that we got the 51 votes that we did. Two Republicans uh, sitting out on this one, going nay, voting with the Democrats, that would be obviously Senator Susan Collins, Republican out of Maine, and Senator Lisa Murkowski, Republican out of Alaska. The last holdout that was surprising to me, uh, Alan Moore, somebody who's, I guess, going to vote no, but in a last-minute attempt in a discussion with the majority reader, majority leader, Mitch McConnell, uh, Ron Johnson out of Wisconsin was the lone holdout on this one. Surprise you? Well, it was the lone holdout. Oh, he voted with the, the, the majority, as did Rand Paul, as did Dean Heller from, Los, from Nevada. As did Jeff Flake. A bunch of guys who are not expected to support, for one reason or another, the final product. But remember what this is, and which is why I say it's much ado about nothing. Uh, much ado about not very much, okay? It, it, when it's 51-50, meaning the vice president shows up to break a tie, yeah, that's not trivial. And when John McCain comes back from Arizona in a very dramatic moment for the chamber, it's not nothing. It's just way overplayed because it was a procedural vote that basically measures loyalty to your leader. This is an agreement to take up the bill. This is a far cry from supporting a bill. And as Rand Paul, who's been a, a, a re resisting um, most of the alternatives and finally fell back to a let's just repeal it notion, which, which uh, a, a bunch of other people will not support, basically said, I'm going to vote to take it up. We'll see what happens. There's no assurance. I will vote for a final product. And several other senators have said the same thing. I cannot see a pathway to legislation that 50 Republican senators will support. That's where the key vote will be. If that happens, then I'll say, oh, my God, that is Absolutely. huge. You're right. Absolutely. Uh, I think that 
and we've talked about it on this air before, the biggest problem that the Republicans have is the fact that a great number of the folks that voted, some of them back in the office and President Trump into office, are big-time recipients of the benefits of Obamacare. And repealing it, just repealing it, is not going to go anywhere. And, oh, my goodness, this is very complicated. So repealing it and replacing it, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I don't see that there's been a lot of anything but mental anguish gone into trying to figure out what the replacement looks like. So, again, you know, this is a procedural vote. Yay, you know, I, I think there's probably going to be happy dances being done at the, uh, at the White House uh, on this. on this. But, quite frankly, I think we, we're, we're probably, if they're celebrating, I think they might want to keep it down a little bit. There's, there's been talk that this could be a repeal only, hold it for two years. It could be a replace and repeal. Uh, it, what is the what are the odds on this one, Alan Moore? I mean, well, what, where I think they're headed, we know they don't have the votes for repeal only. They don't exist. We know that the various replacement proposals around which actually an enormous amount of time and effort has gone in without success. Every time you add something over here to please moderates whose states expanded Medicaid or who have an opioid crisis uh, or who are really, really worried about people with pre-existing conditions, so you funnel more money in, you turn off conservatives on the other side, and there is nothing out there that has 50 votes. Well, well, I'm wrong, because... The understanding that I have on the vote today, this was to bring the House bill to the floor for debate. The Senate would then put amendments that they want to see into the House bill, and that is the one that that would go forward. Is that correct? So, so I'm frankly, I don't know if it was the House bill that was brought up or – a different version. I, I have no reason to say it wasn't the House bill, but that is not an embrace of the House bill. It, it, you That's the only thing that they can bring to the floor. You see, well, they, they could have brought uh, a, a separate bill to the floor, the, the replacement bill that McConnell spent so much time, or a repeal-only bill. They could have brought that to the floor. The point is it's still under the budget reconciliation process, so you only need 50 votes. Um, and, and, well, <laughs> these days you only have to you only need 50 votes to bring up a bill anyway. That that used to be different, but they're doing this under reconciliation. So final passage would only require 50 votes. That limits the kind of amendments that that you can go that that, that will be allowed, which is a further problem for those who are trying to make make major structural changes. But the, the the most if if they were to somehow miraculously pull out bill uh, an actual bill that could get 50 votes it would most likely be a very narrow scale pieces of obamacare back what they're talking about is eliminating the individual mandate eliminating the employer mandate eliminating a very unpopular tax with many republicans and democrats on uh, on particular uh, pieces of medical hardware. They could repeal those little pieces, arguably pass it with 50 votes. I don't think that will happen. And then go into conference with the House 
with the House bill and this narrow little Senate bill and try to go into a negotiation that could still come up with 50 votes in the Senate and not lose now, the Admiral, strong majority in the House. Right. Now, Hamilton, we've been talking about the Gang of Eight. Um, all two of them, as we mentioned before, Murkowski and uh, Collins, of Murkowski of Alaska, Collins of Maine, voted against bringing it even to the floor, whereas we saw, as Alan mentioned before, the rest of that gang, the Rand Pauls, the Jeff Flakes, the Dean Hellers, et cetera, they all came in and voted to bring it to the floor. This doesn't mean that we're going to see a repeal and replacement of Obamacare. They're just doing the debate. Is that correct? That's right. And the, 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 the real question is going to be, one, how much time will they take to go and do the debate? Right. Um, what, uh, as Alan has pointed out, what will come out of it as a result, uh, as the solution? Right. And then finally... Uh, whether they think they can they can get it passed, and all the while you've got you've got the president and his machinations uh, going on in the background, trying to determine whether it's going to be uh, touted or touted as a meme. And if my logistics are correct, joining us on the phone, he is the man that we know as the only man barred in D.C. and Maryland that we know. He is the man that we know as Dan Littner Esquire. Daniel, is that you? It is indeed me. How is everyone doing today, Justin? We're doing fine. We're doing fine. Dan, obviously, we're talking about the big news coming out of the Senate. They got the votes to go forward on a on a uh, uh, to go forward on bringing debate on the healthcare bill forward. Uh, we were mentioning that Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski of Maine and Alaska, respectively, voted with the Dems to not bring it to the floor. Uh, that's going to give the Dems at least some sort of comfort level that there there are people on the other side that they can deal with? Well, the short answer is yes. I actually tuned into a little bit of the opening of the floor debate, and uh, John McCain uh, happened to be on the floor uh, when I was watching. And, man, if that's, if, if, if that's what they got from the people who voted yes, uh, the no is going to be a far way to go. Uh, at McCain's line of this is a shell of a bill that needs dramatic change, and I've talked to my governor, and they say this is unworkable as it stands, and he voted yes <laughs> to open debate on this but, thing. But, so. but, Dan, I don't want you to misclassify that. Is all they were doing was voting to bring the debate to the floor. It wasn't that they were voting to repeal or replace or just repeal. No, no, and, and I understand that. But it, 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 I'm honestly kind of surprised that it, it got this far um, because I think it puts everyone in a even more politically awkward position since even those people who claim they are for it aren't quite for it, um, especially in the Senate. So it, it's, it's a bit more of an awkward position politically, whereas the position before was you can't blame me. It's somebody else's fault, um, which you was the, the, the Rand Paul and, and other people's positioning. So it, this is kind of interesting. Dan, if you were here, Alan Moore is giving you the same bizarre look that he always gives you when you talk your stuff. Alan Moore, take it from here. Well, when Dan says something like, even the people who say they're for it aren't really for it. 
there's nobody that's really in the Senate who's really for this particular bill. All they are doing is agreeing by the narrowest of majorities to take up this issue on the floor and start having amendments. It's, there, there will be repeal only. There will be different replacements. There will be small pieces, big pieces. The Democrats can be expected to have a load of amendments. They will participate in this process, too. This is, this is a, a full Senate process now. It's not just a Republican process. And then the majority leader will be able to, to watch over the next few days what's happening and see if there's 50 votes for anything. Uh, my hunch is strongly that there won't be, but at least there will be opportunities for every Republican, for example, who said, we're going to replace this thing, or we're, we're going to do all we can to replace, repeal and replace. They will be able to rec- be recorded as having voted to do this or to do that, consistent with their beliefs. But I, for one, do not believe that anything will emerge from the Senate from this process. I could, as I said, the only thing that, my, that I can conceive of in my mind would be something very narrow that repealed a couple of pieces of Obamacare, but, and remember, what's interesting in some ways, it's not that, that they got the 50. It, for me, to take up the bill is usually a, a loyalty matter. What's interesting to me is that two Republican senators decided not even to follow their leader on opening up debate. And right. Susan Collins, from the get-go, has said, I'm not going to vote for anything. I hate this process. I think we should go through regular order, go through committees, have hearings, have a normal process. Uh, I don't like the content of what's coming forward, but I also really hate the process. Does, does, this, does this put Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins in a weird position going forward in the Senate? Does it take away from their, in, in the case of Susan Collins, her seniority? I don't think so. I, I think, you know, I think if the, the political winds were blowing a different way, it might. You know, this process, I think, is rated by... Gallup and maybe one of the polls name isn't coming to mind right now. You know, it's got less than a twenty percent approval rate already by the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the country hates this process, so I think they're fine. I do. Alan Moore. No, no one is surprised or particularly upset at Susan Collins. Maybe the president, but in the Senate, they all understand. And some of those in the Senate who voted to take it up are cheering her quietly from behind. But taking away seniority is not an option. It's it, not on the table. Let me ask this question, though. Is, is this a slap in the face to the president? I mean, but you, we heard the attacks that uh, President Trump went after Dean Heller with last week, which we'll talk about here shortly. Uh, we heard the, uh, the attacks he went on with Jeff Flake out of Arizona, respectfully. This, is this a... You want to come after me? You feeling froggy? Go ahead and jump move by Susan Collins. No, 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 no. He's going to have his chance to jump down people's throats in the next week or two when this effort collapses because there will be too many Republicans who will not vote for something. We'll get to 47 maybe on a particular – But the game may hold you then. Well – I don't know about gang of eight. I don't like that term, but, but there will be more than two senators, more than two Republicans who will refuse to go along with, with any 
anything that comes up, whether it's repeal only, a replacement option, or even a scale-down repeal. I love Alan because he's a very rational man, and, and, I'll, and I don't want you to change. Um, but the question is whether the president will take it as a slap in the face. Absolutely, he will. He takes everything as a slap in the face. That's true. Yeah, he does. And he's already drawn a line in the sand by saying, if you are a Republican senator and you don't vote this, uh, this way, then you're okay with Obamacare the way that it is. He's put that in writing already. So, yeah, he's going to kick this. The dance point, he takes everything that goes account to what he wants as a slap in the face. But, Dan, is anybody dumb enough to go and primary Susan Collins, who is pretty much the grand matriarch of politics in Maine? Is anybody dumb enough to go after Lisa Murkowski, who literally won in because everybody wrote her name in to the ballot to get her elected? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Lisa Murkowski is worth noting. I mean, she she lost the primary and won a a very complicated write-in to hold her seat, which is pretty damn impressive considering Murkowski. I'm pretty certain I can't spell it right now, um, and Alaska's rules are pretty tough. Um, so, but Susan Collins is the, the other side of that. It's worth noting that. New, New England Republicans have not always been the, 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 the feature of loyalty uh, for, for the Republican Party. Uh, I mean, looking back at uh, Jim Jeffords, uh, who, who famously flipped on the front end of the, in the, during the front end of the Bush administration, I mean, I, I would be hesitant to try and squeeze her. She does seem to be a rational person and also plays nice with everyone other than this president. So, yeah, I... I that would seem politically unwise to me. Alan Moore. Yeah, I may have misspoke earlier. The president will clearly take offense. He takes offense, as Dan says, as Ken says, at everything. The question I was responding to is whether other Republicans are going to be ticked off, whether, his, whether her seniority or role in the Senate is somehow at risk. The answer is never. Not going to happen. The president, of course, he... he he, he did, I'm not sure he even understands the difference between taking up a bill and passing a bill. So, so for him, yeah, they were disloyal. As I said, though, I don't believe they're going to succeed in passing something out of the Senate, and that's the place where the anger will, will rise much harder because by then um, everyone will know this is really crunch time. This is real marbles this time, not just agreeing to take up a vote. Um, and, and that's ahead of us. That's not today. After all, well, it's succeeded. Nothing like the high drama of a vice presidential vote. Yeah, true. Yeah, like that? Well, and the, the anger, to Alan's point, the question is, who's anger? So the, the insane Trump backers that are with him no matter what, they're just going to be pissed off that we haven't just elected him grand emperor for life. But beyond that, there's also, and this is the Lisa Murkowski's, the Hellers, the Jeff Flakes. These are all these folks, uh, including um, the Republican senator from Ohio, whose name is escaping me at the moment. The All of these folks have, have seen the the wrath of their constituents on this issue. And pretty impressively, as far as grassroots efforts, 
Um, and I know there's even grassroots or have, have, have some astroturf related to them, but these numbers aren't fake. There's only so much you can do as an organizer to manufacture that stuff. And these these senators are, are definitely feeling the heat that it, these votes are going to be complicated. And even the amendments they vote on, some of which are going to be to, uh, to appease the, the, the radical base that are the Trump voters that want to repeal health care for everyone and or and the other half is going to be how to to appease the people who actually see the safety net and these things as a tool that the country needs to have in order to maintain a civil country. Uh, so, so there's going to be lots of people pissed off consistently about this, and it the politics is going to be a, a not insignificant headache. But Admiral Ken, the the, the politics of the, of the of the House bill. The House bill that went to the Senate is not going to remain whole. We know that for a fact. It now looks like that it's going to be the Wild West when it comes to amendments and all kinds of uh, orders of change that are going to happen on this thing. It, the bottom line here is how much of the original intent of what the GOP healthcare ideal is, is Mitch McConnell going to have to give up to get this thing through? I have no idea. And does Mitch McConnell know? I I don't think I I, I you know I don't I don't know. I, I think that you know, the House and uh, been taken up by the Senate. Would well, if it had gone regular order, it would have gone through committee. Okay. It hasn't. And it, again, but so if it had gone through regular order, uh, that'd be one thing. Uh, if it had not been branded a quote mean bill by the president, that'd be another thing. Um, I, the, the issue here, quite frankly, is that um, I am. I'm, I'm amazed that we are trying to rush through, we being the, the big wing, trying to rush through to meet some sort of artificial deadline of trying to fulfill a, a campaign promise when they really need to stop and, and slow down. If you remember the big complaint about uh, Nancy Pelosi when this thing passed, uh, you have to read You're talking about Obamacare Obama originally, yeah, right? Yeah, you, you've got you, you to pass the bill to see what's in it. Well, we're not even looking to see what's in it before we're talking about passing something. It's insane. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and I'm expecting, and I quite frankly was foolishly expecting people like Mitch McConnell and other members of the Senate to basically say, hey, look, you know, let's take a breath. We're talking about a sixth of the American economy that we're jacking with, and nobody has a real clue as to what's going on behind it. Well, that's a good point. Alan, longtime Senate staffer uh, on both committee, on, on the Commerce Committee inside the Senate, let me ask you this procedural question. A lot of the complaints I've heard from talking to friends of mine on the Senate side have said that if our boss had it our way, this would go total regular order, but we're caught between a rock and a hard spot. Is there any way that by bringing this to the floor for debate that Mitch McConnell and the leadership in the Senate could turn this around and say, you know what? We're going to bring this regular order. I'm going to refer back to committee. Is there any possibility of that happening? No, not not particular proposal. Could it happen? No. It, it, remember, this is all a budget act uh, procedure that only requires 50 votes. Right. It's, it's controversial with the Democrats anyway. They're 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 knee-jerk. And, and not surprising reaction, the Republicans would feel the same way, is we're not going to do major stuff. 
through reconciliation. Um, and anything that's, that, that can even be legitimately labeled repeal, or repeal and replace, they're going to object to. They have a political winner here. Um, when it comes to the content, the content is constantly shifting. But the content is well known to anybody who's, except for the fact that it was different yesterday and today and then tomorrow, the, the, the issues are pretty well known. The ideas that are being advanced are well known. It's just that they can't get a majority and they can't coalesce around a particular idea uh, that, that they could describe. And because it's so complicated, to describe, there's no shorthand way to say, we're going to do these 15 things. And they're all a little bit complicated. So, so what, what would most likely happen here? They're not going to take this and send this back to committee at this point. They made a calculation early on. They thought, we can get something done early. Let's put that up front. Let's do it through this 50-vote reconciliation process. It didn't happen. They don't have it. We thought two weeks ago that they might just leave it alone and move to tax reform. They chose not to. Again, there's, there's, there's the conservatives who said, we've got to show more effort to repeal this thing fix it, modify it, do something that we can say we fulfilled a promise that many of us have made. So McConnell made a calculation. Well, let's bring it up. Let's see if anything's got 50. At least the people who are demanding we do something will have some be on record with some votes. I think this will fail. We'll move out of the reconciliation process. The problems with Obamacare don't go away, and last week we were talking about what it will take for the leadership to say, let's try to fix some of those pieces of Obamacare that are major issues, that are major problems, around which we can get uh, ostensibly some bipartisan agreement. We'll lose some Republicans. We won't get all the Democrats, but maybe we can find some agreement. That will go through the regular process. That won't be this major reform. That will be some let's fix it stuff that would happen sometime in the future going through committee. Uh, Dan Lipner, does the over-under on the number of amendments that this thing tries to go through before it hits a floor vote? Oh, I'm going to say at least 100 amendments. Alan Warren? More than that. More than that. What will happen is you'll probably get a list of – the word will go around. we got 267 amendments, and then they start negotiating to whittle them down. They'll find ones that are overlapping. Or right. people just say, I want five amendments, and I'm not going to tell you what they are yet. You, this is this is what leaders get to do. Try to sort out. Dealing, dealing starts there's, now. There's no senator that won't want to have at least one, and more likely a few amendments. So you're saying over 100. Well, understand. I don't know how many will actually vote on. That will be significantly less than right. that number. But they'll start out with a huge long list. Start whittling it down. It'll be clear where the votes are, and after a while, people will give up. Yeah. McConnell doesn't want to spend weeks on this thing, especially if it's pretty obvious it's not going anywhere. And that's not the fact that it's going to impede on his August recess, too. That's it. What number number of amendments? How many needles in a haystack? There you go. That works. Actually, the correct answer here, there will be at least 52. One for each vote. It's going to be (laughs) There will be one amendment for each Republican that thinks about the thing, including Pence's. 
Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about uh, the the really odd events going on between the White House and the Robert Kennedy Building, the different relationship between the president and the attorney general. That on backroom politics, when we come back, stay with us. We'll be back in three minutes. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. Press Club in the heart of your nation's capital, Washington, D.C. It is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. Joining me as I do every Tuesday 
Alan Moore, Admiral Ken Carradine, and on the phone somewhere doing Dan Lipner type stuff, Dan Lipner Esquire. Hey, uh, want to talk a little bit about the the increasing tension between the president Donald Trump and his Attorney General Jeff Sessions of Alabama. Uh, this morning, it has been a situation that has been growing more and more tense daily, but this morning, uh, he has now called his attorney general weak, and I think in a tweet yesterday called him uh, beleaguered. This is just an odd, odd situation going on between the president and his attorney general. Almore, have you heard or seen anything like this before? or this kind of public disdain for each other? Well, we, poor, poor Jeff Sessions has continued to, to be loyal and focused and say how much he, he, he likes his work. We haven't seen anything like this before, but we've never seen a president like Trump uh, before. And there, every day, every week, there are multiple things that we can say we've never seen before because this guy comes from a different place. He acts differently. We used to be shocked, angered. We're kind of getting a little bit numb to it. I don't know if that's a positive or a negative. Um, but now we tend to be, some of us anyway, less kind of offended or shocked as just saddened and just shake our heads and say, well, what do you expect? And that's kind of where we are. It, 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 this is uh, the president's way to be critical of people. He, he befriends you. He turns on you. Um, this one's a strange one. I, it, it, under normal circumstances, circumstances, one would have said, my God, Sessions should have been gone by now. Well, but that's the thing about he, this. He is could be here six months from now. That's true. But, Dan Lipner, you're talking about uh, a senator – uh, a longstanding and respected senator from Alabama, and a senator who was the first one in that chamber to come out in support of Trump and took a lot of heat from his fellow Republicans in the Senate to do so. Is is this the mark of how you pay back your biggest political ally or one of your biggest political allies? Well, the short answer is no, but it's also worth paying attention to I mean, I would have been much happier to see Jeff Sessions as Secretary of Defense than Attorney General. Uh, I thought thought he could do much more damage as Attorney General um, in, in, with some of his policy choices, and I have yet to be proven wrong. Uh, but that said, wait, wait, when wait, he refused wait, himself on, on the on when he, his recusal, his, let me finish my point here. His recusal on the Russia thing, by a legal ethical standpoint, is absolutely correct. There is no if ands about this. It is absolutely the correct thing to have done. And for the president to push back on the attorney general for following the appropriate legal code of ethics is wildly inappropriate. And making this a slightly larger picture for a second, it's worth noting there are a few ways to remove a president, and one of them is the cabinet. And there are at least now two cabinet heads that have some serious beefs with the president. So it might be worth keeping a head count there. Uh, uh, Admiral Ken, Dan brings up a good point. I mean, the guy, the guy in the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, 
has literally done everything that his own lawyers in terms to the department told him to do. He's been backed up by another Trump ally in former U.S. attorney Rudy Giuliani, who said absolutely what he did was exactly what he needed to do in recusing himself on the Russia question. It seems that everybody agrees that this was the right thing to do except the president. Well, the reason for that is that the president does 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 not understand the meaning nor probably knows how to spell the word ethics. And that's just it. Well, it's not just the ethics issue. It's, it's the legal it, it, issue. It's about, no, it's about ethics when it comes down to it. It's about doing the right thing. And the right thing, uh, and if you go back, you go back on, and uh, I think it was either CNN or, or uh, MSNBC this morning, went back and showed tapes of Sessions basically saying, you know, early doing his, his confirmation hearing that, you know, it would not be appropriate for him to involve himself in anything having to do with Hillary Clinton because of the comments that he made during the campaign. He's sticking to that. I mean, at the end of the day, Jeff Sessions is doing his job. And the biggest thing that he has wrong with him is that he's not doing what the president wants him to do. The president doesn't understand that when Sessions became the attorney general, he didn't take an oath to him. He took an oath to the Constitution. Which Jeff Sessions made very clear Absolutely. in his presser the, the other morning. Is, is, is this a matter of can Jeff Sessions stay in place and have this tense relationship with the president, or does it detract from – his ability to be attorney general, and does it detract from the country? Alan Moore. Well, yes and yes. Um, he, he, he can continue if Should he's he? allowed to continue. Um, Should he? Yes, it, 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 it detracts. Um, but there are a lot of distractions in this, uh, in this White House and in, in, their, in this uh, administration. Um, it, 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 what, 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 the president needs to do is two things. One, he needs to shut up about this subject. One. Two, he needs to sit down with his attorney general, one-on-one, -on -one, clear the air, or tell him, I would like you to step down. Not do this brief consciousness, Twitter, Fueled um, uh, diarrhea of the mouth about the Attorney General. It looks to, to the eyes of anybody who's ever paid any attention. It looks like he's totally lost confidence in in uh, in the Attorney General. It's hard to see how the guy could survive, um, and and uh, that is not good for anyone. Uh, it's funny to me that some of the Democrats who, who, who voted against Sessions are now talking about his virtues. It's just one of those strange ironies of, uh, of, of Washington. I'm really intrigued that Dan, if he can still hear me, is, was uh, embracing the idea of Jeff Sessions as Secretary of Defense. <laughs> so maybe if something happens to General Mattis... Then uh, they can move. They can move over. I'm not going to comment on Lewis to give that comment. Well, I, we're gonna, we'll move on. We'll I was, move on. I, I, I was. Uh, I, I that was kind of the admin. That was attributable to <laughs> to, to Dan's careful, thoughtful this consideration. Got, this, of this, this has got this has got the the admiral Oliver Clemp. We don't want to talk. We'll move on. 
Uh, Dan Lipner, it, it appears that that uh, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions is going to kind of stick it out in almost a defiant way, um, almost forcing the hand of the president to to fire him, if you will. Does Trump firing Sessions to replace him with somebody to fire Mueller? Does this whole scenario create a constitutional crisis? The short answer is yes. Uh, the I actually went back and for the issues of uh, the presidential pardon, I kind of assumed there was an exception in the Constitution for pardoning yourself. Uh, that is not true. Uh, the, the, the pardon exception is against impeachment only, and so that's basically it. So it, it, it's, it's a challenging uh, problem, to say the least. And the cabinet, cabinet heads are a different creature. The fact that they are Senate-confirmed, they take an oath to uphold the laws, and they also take an oath to the Constitution, and they do have a constitutional ability to remove the president. So there is this wary little balance of the president losing confidence in the attorney general for seemingly no other reason than the president not having the attorney general stand in the way of an investigation of the president. Um, yeah, that's a little challenging to say the least. And I'm going to go out of the limb here and say that Sessions in his 20-plus years in the Senate probably made a few friends that are still there. So he might have some allies. And if the president does choose to fire uh, the attorney general, it, there could be some repercussions, but we'll see. Because all of this goes back to the insanity of the Trump base, that Alan, the president can do, Alan, no, you, do, do no wrong. Alan Moore, you seem to disagree with well, that. No, I'm curious what kind of repercussions that he's thinking that a half a dozen uh, senators might uh, uh, might create. Um, Sessions was was... Oh, was was nobody but Donald Trump's first choice to be Attorney General. That doesn't mean he doesn't have friends in the Senate, or that that that, that there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, distress about how the president is treating uh, the Attorney General these days by Republicans and Democrats and folks on the outside. Jeff Sessions has never been so popular as he is right now because he's on the receiving end of these gratuitous uh, uh, shots from the from the president. Um, but but. Uh, the, the the scenario you described um, would would create uh, I think a potential constitutional crisis. That is, if he replaced Sessions, uh, couldn't and it, the the worst scenario would be this: replace him, come up with a nominee that they were convinced could get the votes in the Senate. Therefore, use a a an acting attorney general try to to do a recess appointment which i think the the democrats are not going to open the door to um in, in august um and uh but somehow or other get somebody in there to fire Mueller. and i don't know that i, I would i know it, it, it's not hard to to say that the Trump would love Mueller to go away, but but that's not going to happen anytime soon. And the firing of Mueller, I think, it would be perceived universally as a, as a huge mistake outside the White House, 
inside well, the White House. Would think so let's not get carried away saying that's what's going to happen, even though it stands to reason that the president would love to see Mueller go away. Um, I mean, that's when we really do start seeing Watergate parallels. But, that kind of but Alan Moore, uh, Admiral Ken, when we talk about this situation, it, we're now in, in a fight of wills between can Jeff Sessions withstand the daily Twitter barrage of the of the of the nitpicking digitally that he gets from the president, or is he going to succumb and then create a bigger mess? Nobody wants to take this job. I, I, I hope that I don't live to regret these words, but he's a fellow Alabama. We're a lot tougher and worried than than I've been a few students. That's adorable. Seriously. That is that is really I'm cute. Sorry. I mean, you know what? So what? I think <laughs> break my bones and words can never hurt you. Screw you. Have a nice day. But, but I will I will give Jeff Sessions credit though. Yesterday in his presser talking about uh talking about several factors, including a a major drug arrest for mm-hmm. doctors that are pretty much uh putting out opiates for sale in prescription form. Huge raid, huge bust, didn't make news. The press conference made news because the, the attorney general said, you know, I'm going to stay here as long as I am effective. Great. The, 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 Alan Moore. It, it's important to, re, to remember that the, the Sessions does have a, a bit of a following of his own because he has topped up um, some, has played a role in the toughening up of, of the border. Uh, well, he was the of, original border. Absolutely, you know, of of deporting uh, illegals, cracking down on drugs, uh, all of which plays to uh, to a, a, a large slice of America. Um, but let let's remember one other thing about how Washington works. Jeff Sessions is not sitting alone in isolation, watching what the president says. There are many conversations going on in and around Jeff Sessions. And people close to the to the president. So, whether it's Sessions talking to Reince Priebus, Reince Priebus calling uh, the chief staff, or Reince Priebus calling Sessions, Jeff, not don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I don't know that those two are talking, but there are conversations that involve people where where the where the attorney general will be trying to find out exactly what the president thinks beyond these these. Twitter this shots. is where it gets bizarre, though. In, in you know, I understand that every time. As though it's not been bizarre before. True. Let me rephrase. This is where it gets a little odd in a protocol matter. Um, yesterday, Attorney General shows up at the West Wing mm-hmm. for a series of meetings. Um, normally. In previous administrations that I know of, if the attorney general is in the West Wing and there's a good relationship, the president would usually just at least pop his head in and say hi to his attorney general, or the attorney general may just say, you know what, I need five minutes, particularly in the situation we've got now, no contact, zero contact with anybody in the, with anybody in the West Wing yesterday. You're shaking your head, not a big deal. He was he was, what I read was he was at the White House. Now when you use the word at the White House, that doesn't just mean the, the West Wing. It means the entire he could have been in the executive building where but, there are hundreds of people, some of whom are very senior. I don't the know why he was in the building, but let's suppose he was in the West Wing. Right. Um and, and I have no I, I don't know. So he goes there. 
He goes into the waiting room. They take him into his meeting. It might be in an office. It might be either in the cabinet room or the Roosevelt room. Those are the places where you meet in the in West, West Wing. Wing right. It's a small space. Right. He has this meeting and he leaves. He doesn't pop in on the president. The president doesn't pop in because Jeff's in the building. No, no, no. Jeff's but when you have the street, Jeff. Now they need when, to talk. When they, no, but, but they when you have a situation like they, this, they need to talk when they set up the talk. You don't, as Jeff Sessions, just say, "Oh, I'm in the building. I'm going to go pop in on the president. I don't know what he's up to." Oh no, 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 no. But when you are when you are the attorney general and your president is saying stuff on Twitter that is undermining your integrity as the attorney general, which which it is. I don't think it is. I think it. I think it's underscoring. No, I I think what it does is it just it, it's it's just childish. What the president's doing, no doubt about but, but, that. But when you do that, if, if I'm Jeff Sessions, okay, and I'm the attorney general, and I've got to go up and be the top law enforcement guy against some of the biggest scumbags in the world, and I've got to maintain my my officer presence, if you will, having the president. You certainly don't want to be in the same room with one of them. What's that? Said so you certainly don't want to be in the same room with one of them. Yeah, but but the thing about it is, you know, when the president calls you weak and, you know, beleaguered, I think that takes away and undermines that officer presence. And if I were if I were Jeff Sessions and I was going to the White House, I would at least want five minutes. I would be storming into Ryan's office saying, absolutely, hey, absolutely not. No, 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 no. So I agree with Dan. Why not? He's the president. The, oh, but a, a, a slightly different angle on this as well. Keep in mind, one of the things that is now in play here is is at least a floated allegation of obstruction of justice. If you want to protect the president, who is known for shooting his mouth off on all sorts of things and actually creating controversies where there previously were none, the president being in the same room with Jeff Sessions only creates more problems. <laughs> you so avoid, if you're you trying to protect the president, you don't want any piece of that. Do you do you avoid the president like the plague? And you avoid being alone in the same room with the president. This is the Comey thing. You absolutely don't want that to occur and outside the presence of counsel. There is there is liability here. That's part of what Mueller is looking into. I mean, this is part of the problem that the president created is out of whole cloth. But because I don't think I've ever heard, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever heard in my in in my over thirty years of following or being around politics where I've heard that you don't want to be around the president of the United States without an attorney present. This is this is an odd odd time. I don't get this. Well, that's Dan saying it. So, you know, you have to discount it. Okay. I, 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 I think Dan's right. And, and I'll go back to what I was saying before. Jeff Sessions has had an honorable career as a U.S. senator for over 20 years. He was the number one guy uh, in the Senate to come and support him uh, when he was running for president. He's been carrying the water for Trump on the immigration deal. He's basically been a law and order, and he's been pushing
thing to do. That's a professional thing to do. Press on. Yeah. Nothing involving this president is perfect. Again, so no. we have to make up for his lack thereof by doing it even better. Fair enough. Alan Moore. I would be shocked if Jeff Sessions does not have multiple conversations with either Rice Priest, Steve Bannon, or Jared Kushner, the three sort of senior people around the president. He, he has to have talked, in my judgment, to at least one of them at least once and maybe more than one and maybe more than once to say, what am I supposed to read into this? Are, is, is there a signal? Am I being asked to resign? Because presidents are notorious for not wanting to confront a problem, so they have third parties do it. But the third party is the chief of staff, counselor to the president, senior advisor to the president. The president doesn't have to ask for Sessions' resignation. What, this, what, what, what it looks like is the president is blowing off like he does. He's saying, Geez, you know, if I'd only known that that that, uh, that Jeff Sessions was going to recuse himself, I would have gone in another direction because it creates all these problems. Well, Sessions didn't know he was going to have to recuse himself when he was first under consideration. Some of that is his own fault. He didn't report these Russian meetings. If he had reported them in a timely way, it's possible that people would have said, uh-oh, do we want to and mess with that? And how can you hold him guilty for doing the same thing so, he's doing? Right, exactly. Right, true. No, true. But his son is not even in the White House, his son, and is not Attorney General. So, so what, what Trump needs to do, though, is to shut up about it. He needs to decide, is this a big enough problem for me? that I want to do something about it, talk to his people, lay out a plan, and not just spew on Twitter his thoughts. He, again, it's a matter of shutting up, figuring out what he wants to do, and then executing it. Or or in in a one-on-one, he could pick up the phone and talk to Sessions, and people do that. They do have one-on-one conversations. I'm not freaked out by a one-on-one meeting, if especially, although... I would guess that the chief of staff would be present. Well, I want to talk if he, about if he wants to say, let's bury the hatchet here. I'm okay. going to stop talking. I want you to stay on. Um, how are things going? going to, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this, talk about the shakeup that happened last week. Uh, communications, our, our, our favorite Sean Spicer is out. And, you know, out goes spicy, in comes the mooch. We'll talk about spicy and the mooch when we come back. This is Backroom Politics on Blog Talk Radio, live from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Stay with us. We'll be back in two minutes. You know, Shelley's Backroom has been hosting Backroom Politics for seven years. Seven years. It's still unbelievable we've been doing it that long. But make no mistake about it, Shelley's Backroom is one of a kind in Washington, D.C., Shelly's is a comfortable retreat for cigar aficionados and those who simply want to unwind. The casual but elegant space features soft lighting, cozy couches, and overstuffed chairs. Shelly's Back Room is a cigar-friendly establishment, but the state-of-the-art air purification system keeps the atmosphere comfortable for smokers and non-smokers alike. Sit back and enjoy yourself while chatting with friends or watching one of the eight high-definition TVs, or come by any Tuesday, enjoy your favorite cigar or one of the signature cocktails, and watch how backroom politics is made. Convenient to public transportation and the sights of the nation's capital, 
Shelly's is easily dividable to accommodate intimate gatherings or large-scale special events. Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As Bob says, it's the place to be. politics and we're back here live from the national press club this is backroom politics on blog talk radio joining me as they do every tuesday alan moore admiral ken caradine uh looks like we lost uh dan Littner esquire so somebody's gonna have to fill the role of the liberal in this next hour but i'm sure we'll make do hey let's talk about the other big happenings over at 1600 pennsylvania avenue northwest uh last week in case you didn't hear it uh, Melissa McCarthy was let go of a job at Saturday Night Live, meaning <laughs> that uh, Sean Spicer, the president at first press secretary, then communications director and press secretary, then kind of blackout in chief, and then now he's a civilian again. Uh, he was replaced by a fellow New Yorker, uh, fellow 
Long Islander, Queens type guy in Anthony Scaramucci, a 53 year old uh, financial kind of guy, uh, Wall Street type salesman, if you will, hedge fund guy. Hedge fund guy. Uh, he was replaced. No known, no known corporate communications, no strategic communications experience at all, other than the fact that he's been on Fox Business News a couple of Quite times. Quite a bit of TV experience. As a talking head, yes. not so much as strategic comms strategy guy. Right. But then again, uh, we've seen stranger things happen. Um, but this ends a long and troublesome and odd tenure for, uh, unfortunately, for Sean Spicer. First, let's start off with, with Sean Spicer. Uh, everybody I've talked to, both Republican and Democrat, kind of agree. The president threw him under the bus. Do you agree with that, Alan? Threw him under the bus. The president and the people around the president threw him under the bus on day one in the job when they forced him to go out and make a statement about crowd size, um, which was demonstrably, demonstrably false. Whatever the message they were trying to convey, they, they, they mucked it up and looked like idiots. And it is he has never been able to recover uh, since then. And whether how much of it, how much of that is on him and how much of that is on the the, the decisions made and the instructions given inside the White House, people can debate. Was Sean Spicer set up for failure? Wow. Um, you know, I, I think I think that had he not persisted in the role, my answer probably would be yeah. If because he stayed as long as he did and he, he helped shovel as much crap out of that building as he did, I can't say yeah to that question. Really? Really? I'm a little bit shocked by that. Well, I, I, I mean, it was his job. The guy was hired, and he was doing his job. I guess maybe, maybe you know, and this is part of my problem with this administration and to, to, a, to a great extent my party. Um, I have never been put in a situation where I had to suborn a lie. And it, it, when, I, when it was necessary for me to push back, I pushed back, and when it was necessary for me to even disobey an order, I disobeyed an order. And I guess the point that I'm making here is that, you know, he took the job, uh, he stayed in the job, uh, he basically uh, he 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 broadcast uh, at a minimum that 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 crazy comment about the um, about the crowd size, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. But you know, I, I do think that uh, based on what I've heard uh, from you and other people around around this town. Sean Spice is a pretty good guy. He's a good guy. I, I, Absolutely. I mean, that's what I've heard. I've heard he's a pretty good guy. And, and, and I, and I got to believe right, right about now he's breathing the heaviest sigh of relief that he possibly can. As a fellow Navy, as a fellow Navy officer, right. I admire his, his, uh, his decision to step up and um, want to serve, um, serve his country. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if he's not doing some deep reflection about what's gone on since January of, of 2017, he's, you know, he needs to. Yeah, but I mean, let, let me get this out there. I, I mean, I, a lot of people, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of people in the media know Sean Spicer in this town. A lot of people in the political circles. I knew Sean uh, when he was back at the NRC. Um, Sean is legitimately a nice, down-to-earth, committed, loyal loyal servant of the party. He is a loyal uh, advocate for the party and for those that they elect. 
And he was a loyal subject for Donald Trump in getting his message out, effective or not. Sean Spicer's a good guy, a good Navy officer by all accounts, and good at his job when you've got a solid product that you can put out there. Is that accurate, Alan Moore? I mean, he was basically sold a line of goods by P.T. Barnum and trying to hawk his wares to the rest of the country. I don't know the guy. I don't have a feel for how, how, how well he's performed in other places. Obviously, he, he had the, the confidence of Reince Priebus. He was able to, to make the, get the president comfortable at the beginning that he would have this uh, spokesperson role. Um, speaks to things he's done in the past. Other people who do know him have said, you know, he, he, he was a good guy who's ruined himself and will never get a job again. I don't think that's true. That's but no, 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 not at all. Well, what, first, the first job he's got is, is he's going to, he's going to probably get a book deal, but, <laughs> but, but, he never got comfortable with the strange world of Donald Trump. I don't hold that against him. I think that, I think that, uh, that, that, that Sarah Huckabee, um, uh, Sanders, and and Anthony Scaramucci are going to have the same problem coming up with a coherent, consistent message when uh, clarity and cohesion do not exist in the first place. When it, when things are constantly shifting from here to there, ninety degrees, one hundred and eighty degrees. It's not the problem of communications. This is the old case of shooting the messenger when the 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 the, the leader, um, the maker of the message, uh, is so erratic, so inconsistent, so volatile um, that, it, that that communicating on on that person's behalf becomes impossible. I mean, I, I go ahead, say, I'll, I'll go say, ahead, Admiral Ken. So I'll say this. You know, if if you if you go back. Watch some a lot of the, uh, the press briefings when they were being televised because they went to blackout. Yeah, right. Um, you can see at the very beginning um, that his body language spoke volumes about the level of discomfort he was in. The guy, obviously, again, I don't know him. I'm just looking at what I've seen on television. I would disagree with you. Let me finish. Yeah, okay, let no, me I said I wouldn't disagree with you. So what I will say is that it came across the guy's got a core. I mean that came across that, that he has a core, and he looked. And there, there were more than a couple of times when he just looked down, like you know, he was pissed that he was being asked some of the questions. But I, my comment though is that you know, it goes back to the fact that it was a job. At the point at which the job became something that he could not do and, and still feel morally right about himself, you know, he had the same option that a lot of us do: quit. And no, one, he did. and no one, and no one would blame him one bit. No, I, I don't think so. But, but Dan Lettner, we. We're hearing stories coming out of the West Wing, including those that are close to the situation, that said that uh, Reince came to Sean Spicer and said, look, we're bringing in Scaramucci. Scaramucci is going to be the new comms director. Uh, We're going to have Sarah Huckabee Sanders take over as press secretary. And that kind of leaves you in limbo. He said, absolutely not. I'm not going to be putting this and resign there on the spot. Dan Lipner, smart move, uh, responsible move by um, Sean Spicer to take that role or, or to uh, leave that role 
and resign there on the spot? Yes. Yes, on all fronts. But I certainly hope that somebody in the White House is making sure a golden parachute is waiting for the now former press secretary, because uh, that's going to dictate a lot of what ends up in that book deal. Um, that's, uh, this, is, this is not good for the, this White House. It's, I, I think Spicer was right, without question. But there is, you've thrown out one of the inner circle in an unceremonious way. Uh, that sometimes has ramifications, so we shall see. Yeah, I, I just don't, Dan, I, you know, if I keep hearing book deal, book deal, book deal. I don't think, one, the guy does a book deal, two reasons. One, the guy has probably got an ironclad NDA, which I heard is standard in the Trump organization. And number two... Unenforceable uh, NDA. Unenforceable NDA. He's a public servant. There is no private contract between him and the president on this. It's between him and the United States government. The the, the NDA, that's not existent. You cannot do that in the government, period. Dan Littner, have you met our president? You you understand that he's very litigious. He has no problems suing you for wearing the wrong color. He is more than welcome to try. There, there is no grounds. It's like saying the NDA would would supersede FOIA. It doesn't work that way. <clears throat> There's no grounds for what he does on a regular basis. Admiral Ken, and I think the other thing that 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 I, I would put into this too is you know he's still he's still uh, he's still in the Navy, and in order for him to get anything published, he'd have to clear it through the uh, Office of uh, Information in the Navy. They work for DOD. DOD works for the president. Well, they all serve at the pleasure of the president. And I'm pretty sure that that's probably going to put the kibosh on it. If he does something like that, it'll be after he gets out of uniform to where he, he can do what he wants to do. But, again, though, you know, Spicer, uh, Spicer, um, you know, again, I, I like to believe he has a core. And what I don't think you're going to do, you, you know, I don't think you're going to see the book deal. I also don't think you're going to see him go uh, go Corey Lewandowski where he's out defending the president in uh, six or seven years. No. I don't think so. I think I think he did that turn on Hannity, which was even then I think might have been a little forced, but uh, I don't know. Let's talk a little bit about. I mean, and and by the way, for the record, uh, wish Sean all the best. Uh, You know, really tough, tough job. If if he could survive that, good grief. Um, You know, doing an Enron deal shouldn't be too hard for him. (laughs) Alan Moore. Yeah, I was gonna. You 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 laid out a narrative of what you think occurred. I don't think it worked quite like that. I don't think Reince Priebus said to Sean, "Hey, Scaramucci's come in to be communications director. Sarah Sarah's going to take over press secretary duties." I don't think it worked like that. I think he said, "Scaramucci's coming in. The president's decided he's coming in. He's going to be comms director." Which uh, re- reportedly Priebus, Bannon, and Spicer all uh, recommended against. Right. But, you know, he, they don't get to make the decision. At which point, the, the question was, well, what, what's, what is his role relative to mine? Who reports to whom? Um, and was told that Scaramucci was going to be reporting directly to the president, not even to Priebus, at which point, the handwriting was on the wall. I don't think that it was announced at that point that 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 Sarah would be taking over press secretary duties. An option would have been for Spicer to go back to the podium, but at that point, Spicer realized they don't want me here. Right. This is the perfect time for me to get 
out of here. And he did it in a There's classy a way. There's a plausible line of reasoning, I can say, which is give them a clean slate, let them set it up right. the way they want to. And then it was Scaramucci who said, after that was Sarah announced, Sarah, Sarah will be behind yeah, the podium. I, and then he also went on this tirade about leaks when he said, has said now that he's going to, he's going to fire any leakers. And uh, even already today, they had the embarrassment of Scaramucci telling a reporter that, that he was going to get rid of assistant press secretary, Mark short um, and everybody else, if he had to, down to just him and Sarah, if that's what it took, Mark Short had heard nothing. And then reporters went to Mark Short and said, so I understand you're being let go. He said, that's news to me. Scaramucci got furious at the press for talking, talking to Short, Short about, about what something he had already said. said to the press, yeah. in a, I guess in a private conversation, but not off the record. So Scaramucci has a lot of learning to do. He's off to a to uh, a rocky well, he's got his own rocky star. He has had zero communications experience. That's worth noting. He is a White House comms director with zero communications experience. But then again, we we have a lot of people with zero insert insert role here experience. Whether you want to go to Jared Kushner as a senior advisor to the president, uh, whether you want to go to the regional, the regional director for housing and urban development up in Region 2 who was, believe it or not, appointed by Trump, the regional director for housing and urban development in Region 2, which includes New York, New Jersey, and the Caribbean, was a wedding planner, a wedding planner. This is true. This is what we are seeing in this administration. Well, it goes back, it goes back to something that we've talked about on this show before. Um, and, and, and the country is as guilty of it um, as is members of the decision and position-making uh, bodies inside the country. How so? And what I'm going to say is the less you know about something, the simpler it must be. And, that's just, and that's, that is the mindset that's at play here. I mean, anybody that thinks that you can just come into Washington, D.C. because you're president uh, and throw your weight around and get what you want has a fundamental misunderstanding of how our government works, and, you know, and it's frightening. Well, I, I mean, theoretically, Alan Moore, most of America has a fundamental misunderstanding on how this whole thing works inside the Beltway. Absolutely, that's that's exactly what Ken is saying. That, exactly that, saying that that and that, now you got those people running the country, right? You've got and well, we've got the well, we got those people voting for people who put those people into office to run this country. You've, yeah, you've got a president. Who, who had never served in political office. He'd never served in any kind of government service. He'd never wrestled with the legislature. He had never really thought very much about any of the major domestic or foreign policy decisions that a president has to wrestle with. And he had this amazing belief in himself, this faith in himself that I'm a very smart guy. And we hear him talk about that ad nauseum. Um, I'm a hugely successful businessman. I can do this stuff. It's not that hard. In the first 100 days, we're going to do, and he would rattle off the things. He talked about the health plan that was going to be better and cheaper for everyone. No one was going to be harmed. He went on and on again and again about how great this was, how easy it was, famously only to discover once he had to dig in a little bit on the health care. Boy, this stuff's really complicated. <laughs> stuff that anybody who has ever been involved in in government work, Anything. especially in the Anything. legislative or executive branch, recognizes. 
justice. And so, but he still has that mindset. It looks like Mr. Scaramucci has that mindset. They get together, they talk, and they agree. This goes back to a topic that I have said for the past seven years. I have been giving speeches at colleges around the Beltway, make no mistake about it. We have created an electorate that is misinformed, misguided, lazy, and in all intents, stupid. You cannot tell me that you see what is happening and this is the best way you feel to be governed. Nobody in their right mind that understands government, nobody in their right mind that understands how this process works would this happening at the White House and say, that's exactly the way I want to be governed. And this is in my best interest as a citizen of the United States. Part of the problem, part of the problem is, and, and I'm from a family of educators, uh, mom, dad, uncles, aunts, um, uh, sister. And the issue comes right down to the fact that we have gotten away from teaching civics and, uh, and, and the grade school level. I agree. I mean, you know, most of us sitting around this table, unfortunately, are old enough uh, to real to remember you know, talking about the, you know, the, the two houses of uh, legislature in the U.S. And, and how and how they work. They don't teach that anymore. What they're teaching instead, I don't know, but that's not taught as part of the regular curriculum anymore. And the problem is that these people are going to go from school, turn 18 years old, and go cast the ballot. They're going to believe everything. Fox News, MSNBC, and CNN shoves down their throat and take that as gospel. Well, yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, well, most people, no, no, but, but and, and most people won't even listen, won't even do that. You know, most people don't listen to any of those. Most people don't tune in on the news. Most people Rush get little, <laughs> Some of them hear. Hey, look, some of them, some of them do the radio. But but now we're probably up to ten percent of of the electorate. Everybody else gets bits and pieces. They when it's when it's Campaign time, they'll see they'll see snippets uh, uh, on on television. They'll see expensive ads. They'll see billboards. They'll talk to friends. The the misinformation and ignorance will feed on itself. And and people who want to be elected politicians have to navigate those waters and figure out how to pull out a majority. Let me just uh, break in real quick. Breaking news coming from the House of Representatives. Uh, the House just voted to enact sanctions against Russia, and this same bill also curbs Trump's authority to worm around said sanctions. It holds them tight. That's a big vote for the House of Representatives under Paul Ryan. Is that, I mean, is, is that a, a shot across the bow to the White House saying, hey, look, this be very careful? This is the bill they worked out in the last week or two, and around which there was a little confusion over the weekend. When asked, and Sarah Sanders said, yeah, if the president's been part of that. He's supportive. He's going to sign it. Scaramucci, at about the same time, said, no. said, said he hasn't decided yet. Right. He didn't say no. He said, he hasn't, I haven't talked to him. He hasn't, he hasn't decided yet. And then later, hours later, Scaramucci said, oop, my bad. Pay attention to Sarah. So, oh. so, so that one is, uh, that was put together in, 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 in recent days. Yeah. That was it. It's not as broad as it sounds. Okay. There are some restrictions. 
yes. Go ahead. I'm Ken. Somewhere right around 35, uh, There's things he's going to have to cave to that he may not have, if uh, he may not do, if it was the other way around. And I think, you know, as as part of what you're going to see out of the House and hopefully eventually the Senate, as this, you know, Dan Lipner. Yeah, so I, I some of that broke up, but if I heard the question correctly, whether or not the the communications office is responsible for the messaging issue, short answer is yeah, a little bit, because one of those hard jobs and comms is you have to also have some control over the principal. And the principal in this case is the President of the United States. And apparently nobody has the ability to have that hard conversation and say, Mr. President, in all due respect, shut the hell up. You're killing your 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 own interests here. Um, and they, it, it's tough to do. Uh, I mean, even this past weekend, what should have been an easy celebration for the president to wrap his arms around everything American going to the Boy Scout Jamboree and the launching of the, the aircraft carrier, the Gerald R. Ford, the president went into inappropriate territory at both addresses. Um, that's not the comms department's fault. I'm pretty certain he went off script in both cases. So what do you do? It's, when the president does that, um, you, you just have no choice but to kind of deal with it. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders' approach has been to simply say, well, the president's obviously right because he's the president and he's allowed to do these things. And he, it's his message. And if you, kind of, if you listen to the words she chooses, it's very distinctly saying this is the president's message. Not that this is the administration's message. This is the White House's message. This is the president's message, and that's what he believes. And it's, it, it's kind of noteworthy in her word choice. Let's talk about the latest that happened on the Hill today. Uh, this is Backroom Politics live from Washington, D.C. on Blog Talk Radio. Stay with us. We'll be back in two minutes.
room politics. And we're back here live at the National Press Club. Joining me as we do every Tuesday, Alan Moore, Admiral Ken Carradine, and on the phone he is Dan Littner, Esquire. We're going to continue the discussion about all the interesting stuff going on around the White House. Uh, when we left, Excuse me. When we left uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, Anthony Scaramucci, the mooch, taking over as comms director. Uh, he then appointed uh, Ms. Huckabee Sanders as the uh, person at the podium, the press secretary. Um, but there's also larger problems that are happening inside the White House uh, today. Uh, we just heard that uh, uh, the president's son-in-law, senior advisor to the president, Jared Kushner, had appeared in front of the House Intelligence Committee uh, the day after appearing in front of the Senate uh, uh, Intelligence Committee yesterday. Uh, Yesterday was done in closed sessions, not under oath today. It appears he did it in closed session under oath. Uh, very strange situation, and we also get late word that a deal to bring in former campaign manager and campaign chair, um, help me out here, Alan Moore, oh. Paul Manafort, the deal to bring in Paul Manafort apparently fell apart, and now the committee has issued a subpoena for Paul Manafort, compelling him to appear. Uh, that, at the same time, that uh, apparently... Donald Jr. is supposed to appear before the said same committee, and I guess the deal is, is he going to appear with Manafort, or is he going to appear separately? That's all, I guess, still in the works. Uh, Alan Moore, what's the latest thing? Yeah, I, can't, I cannot imagine them coming in together. Um, uh, I think the whole idea is that we want to see what he, Trump has to say, we want to see what Manafort has to say. The deal with Manafort, Manafort has made it very clear from the beginning, I stand ready to talk to anybody at any time. Having said that, you have to negotiate details. And what I understand happened is that, well, Manafort, uh, who has already uh, appeared now before today, the Senate Intelligence Committee in a, in, in a, in a private session, turning over his notes of the famous uh, uh, meeting with the Russians uh, back in June of last year, uh, he had notes. Um, that was the meeting that Kushner arrived at late and left early. Um, and uh, and then forgot about when it came to listing it. We're not sure what Manafort ever said about it. Supposedly, he talks about that meeting and probably some other things. He he has agreed also to appear behind the scenes with with uh, a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee, but the full committee issued a subpoena. Now, apparently, what happened is the negotiations with Manafort's lawyers on his behalf broke down. He offered to have a single meeting and the Judiciary Committee said, that's not good enough for us. And so while they were still in their back and forth, the committee went ahead a little, you know, uh, uh, aggressive act and said, oh, here's a subpoena. Chances are very good that these guys will work this out and they can then withdraw the subpoena. But as a show of how serious they are about wanting him to come as often as they want, and then the question is, Will he appear in public? They will get Manafort. They will get him as much as they want. They will almost certainly get him in public. Um, otherwise, he they bring him up, and he has to invoke the Fifth Amendment. 
which is the last thing you want to do if you really do have nothing to hide. So, Dan, let me go to you on a legal front. Does it make sense for Manafort uh, to appear separately from uh, Don Jr. and from the rest of the crew, or does he give him a little bit of overhead protection if he shows up with somebody named Kutcher and Trump? Well, first, I mean, I, I can't imagine any investigator ever would set that up because these folks are all potential targets. So you wouldn't put them up there next to each other if you're investigating potential crime, uh, man, especially since Manafort's Russian connections are not in dispute. He he not only was a a a Russian agent he has re, he has registered retroactively as a foreign agent, but he took huge amounts of money. So that if, if for no other reason you you just don't want those optics of this guy was absolutely on Russian payroll next to these guys who took awkward Russian meetings. Uh, yeah, you just don't want that. And on top of that, uh, Dan, Dan, hold on, hang on a minute. Please, let's be careful with how we describe people as a Russian agent and as on the Russian payroll. I don't know that either one of those is true. So let's just be careful. He worked for a Russian-backed Ukrainian politician and got paid by the Ukrainians. That does not make him a Russian agent. It doesn't mean he was on the Russian payroll. I don't know where the money came from. I don't know what all he did. I just think we got to be careful throwing around these glitter yeah, the, the Russian which, agent thing. which we cannot, which we, we do not know and right. cannot prove. Right. Okay, we fine. Know, uh, allegedly, but he did retroactively register as a foreign agent. This is true. This, That's this correct, is which means hard, he represented a foreign government, which I believe was Ukraine. It was Ukraine, correct. But, 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 but. There are still questions as far as his role in relating information and arranging for meetings with Russian dignitaries and the campaign, and how was that money flowed through the Ukraine? Is there a Russian connection? But that's still under investigation. Those are, those, are all, those are all issues. But let's also look at the, the one name I have not heard in this triumvirate, Admiral Ken, is the name Flynn. Does General Flynn still have the the linchpin in this whole chain? Could he be the thing that unravels this? I I don't know, honestly. I, I don't know. I, I think there there's just so much there's just so much crap flying against the wall right now that um my hope is that uh, Bob Mueller gets to complete the investigation without getting fired, and we get to find out exactly all the pieces here. Um, I, I think that, um, and what I mean by crap flying against the wall, I mean the meeting uh, taking place between Donald Trump Jr. and at first three people, then four, then five, uh, then finding out one of them you know, was a, a, a Russian lawyer, and then starting to talk about uh, adoptions, uh, then it uh, then it broadening into other things. Um, the fact that um, all of this just just it, it just smells bad. It just smells bad. And my hope is that uh, 
uh, we'll finally get some clarity on it at the end of this, and then the, the, the final report's back. We'll right. classify them. Yeah, more long-time staff staffer. Uh, there are some that are saying that with Mueller doing his thing and just about every committee other than maybe workforce and education having some piece of this investigation and the Russia scandal, is it? there are some that are saying, look, all the committees on the Hill just stop. Let Mueller do his job, and let's let see where this all falls. Is that even a possibility? Well, let's not say that all committees on the Congress are looking at this thing. It's just a stupid exaggeration <laughs> that, that for, for people listening may think, really? There are four committees, the two intelligence committees, Senate and House, and two judiciary committees, Senate and House, that are looking into this stuff point in time. Might others be pulled in? Down the road, if, for example, there's some weird financial connection, conceivable. But right now, it's the two intelligence committees and the two judiciary committees. They're the ones. They are not stepping all over each other. The, the, the congressional committees are very respectful to the Mueller investigation, particularly as it becomes a target of distress and anger by the president. Having said that, these guys are... A, they have their own constitutional responsibilities to oversee what's going on, and two, they're politicians, so especially the Democrats. They don't like closed-door hearings. They want public hearings. They want to get people up so they can beat the hell out of them, humiliate them, and preen themselves. It's just how the that's, process that's works. That's what we want to see to seek up the important. Yeah, yeah, it's it's worth noting that... So, that we lost it. Admiral Ken, I'm, I'm here. We, we couldn't hear you, but too late. So assuming that, that, that President Trump is absolutely right, and this is much ado about nothing, um, wouldn't it have been really, really great if everybody involved in this had just been honest and straightforward and, and uh, had spoken completely when interviewed by uh, their respective bodies for the positions that they had? Because when you think about the amount of money that we have spent so far on on four committees from Congress, FBI, special counsel, oh my God. I mean the American Office oh, of Congressional Investigation I mean, they've got everybody. The money and time that we have spent because people just can't freaking tell the truth when they sign their names to a form is just ridiculous. It is and, and it would not be it would not be tolerated. This would not be tolerated from average working uh, walking around every average American. And I absolutely understand your point, but Dan Lindner, doesn't this go just above and beyond just filling out your standard form for a security clearance? The answer is yes, and this goes to Alan's point from last week. What if they can't tell the truth, meaning that by telling the truth, they are opening themselves up to significant legal liability, um, some of which might very well be criminal. So that's the question. I mean, Trey Gowdy a couple of weeks ago was absolutely exasperated and not in a good way talking about the president not being able to get everyone in the same room to get their story straight about anyone who's ever met with any Russian Russian person ever. Let's just get this done and stop this dribble. And I am hardly a Trey Gowdy fan. So if this is what's going on and which is where I'm kind of at, that's the exactly where does this go and how much is, is really back there. It's worth noting and not 
distant presidential history, the Whitewater investigation, which was, which it, which was all over a $64,000 land deal in Arkansas that then-Governor Clinton lost money on, turned into the Monica Lewinsky investigation and led to impeachment proceedings. So but the nexus here, uh, let me finish the nexus here. The president has said his personal finances are off limits. And recent hi- history suggests that is not the case. So these things can go Dan, all over the place. And yep, yeah, Dan, I want to ask you this question. Am I hearing you correctly saying that the powers of the special counsel, Robert Mueller, are too broad, too big, shouldn't be this, shouldn't be looking into this the way they are? Not at all. That's just how investigations work. If you get pulled over for speeding and they happen to notice blood coming from your trunk, that doesn't mean that the speeding ticket is defunct because they're now looking at a, at a potential murder. It happens what you start investigating. You don't overlook other things along the way. You find what you find. Alan Moore? Yeah, so reflecting all, all how this started, because as Ken was saying, if, if these people, have, if, if they truly have nothing to hide, and that hopefully we'll, we'll know in the end, but let's, let's just, for the, for the sake of discussion, say they have nothing to hide, then why didn't they just shut up at the beginning and say, let's lay it all out there, report everything, and let the chips fall where they may, because we know where those chips are going to fall. Now, it didn't happen that way. So I think two things happened very early on that, that Again, let's assume that 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 there was no collusion, no 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 knowing collusion. Okay, um, and 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 early on, it, the president got it in his mind whether he self-generated this thought or with people around him said they are trying to undercut you, they are trying to steal the 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 honest true results of this election. Don't let them do it. So we know the president got to that conclusion. He still can't stop talking about that. But think about where the man came from. And a notion like that, which to some of us is like, why is he so worried about that? The votes are clear. Donald Trump doesn't have from Queens to have to do with it. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is no, that I Donald Trump, on this. that Donald that that that, that, that the world that Donald Trump has operated in would reflect on that and say, that's what we would do if oh, they won a close election and we had some line of argument that could undercut the newly elected President Clinton. Let's go after it. Let's pound on it because we think like that. They must think like that, too. And we're going to push back, stop, yell, explanation of all this. I think I have a different take on that. Let's go ahead, Dan Lipner. I actually suspected something different. There is a, and all of us know know these people that have contempt for anyone who works in government, because obviously, if you're working in government, you must be too incompetent to work in the private sector. None of us believe that, but we all know people who do. I honestly believe the Trump inner circle assumed that the people who work in intelligence and many other parts of the federal government were just dolts and were never going to find this stuff. And lo and behold, the men and women 
in these various different agencies are actually professionals that do their job well, and this stuff wasn't that hard to find. That's what I think actually happened. Yeah, no kidding. I gotta tell you something. This this doesn't happen if the president from day one keeps his mouth shut. No tweets about being tapped by Obama. No tweets about the British serving as active agents for the uh, Obama administration. No tweets about being no, surveilled. No tweets no. about being surveilled. No argument about crowd size. Makes no difference. If he doesn't do any of this, we don't. See any of this? This is what's amazing to me. He doesn't understand that this whole embroiled battle is because of the fact he can't keep his mouth shut. He doesn't do that, and Jim Comey doesn't have a multi-million-dollar book deal. That's true. That's. I, do you think Jim Comey does a book deal? Oh hell yeah! Oh god! <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> hey, we're gonna have to cut this. We got we got cut this a little bit short today. Uh, we're gonna uh, gonna head out for uh, a function across the street at Shelley's back room. But I um, want to close out real quickly by uh, talking about uh, the debt ceiling that's coming up real quick. Uh, real quick, Alan Moore, I want to go to you first on this and then to Dan Lipner. Debt ceiling, is, is this something that we really need to be concerned about moving forward if we can get through the crazy season of health care in Russia? Yeah, we do. Uh, as I said last week, uh, the, the, the date on debt ceiling uh, is sort of a movable, imprecise process. Um, re- remember what the debt ceiling is. It's a legal ceiling, a legal amount of money that the federal government is allowed to have borrowed in the aggregate in its history. And when you get up to the amount that's allowed, which is uh, up close to $20 trillion, Dollars, then in order to, for the government to continue to function is, is at, at an annual deficit, you have to increase the allowed ceiling on the amount we can borrow. And we're getting right up next to that ceiling. And so in order for us to legally pay our bills, if it's in deficit, uh, which we continue to be to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars each year, but who cares, um, is is you have to increase the ceiling. You can maneuver and manipulate when you get close to the ceiling, but eventually it has to be done. There's a little bit of doomsday talk, a little chicken little talk, but around September sometime, it really does have to get elevated. And over the years, people have used it as a point of leverage to try to get things in addition to the increase of the legal, uh, legally allowed borrowing, some other little nuggets that one party or the other cares about. So Dan, that'll be the debate. Dan Lettner, are, are the Democrats going to let the Republicans possibly kick this can down the road a little bit uh, until we get to a situation where they can go full on and focus? It's going to be a majority of Democrats and the handful of responsible Republicans in both chambers. That's what happened last time around. I have no reason to believe it will be different this time around. So my question is whether or not the president insults well, I mean, his, well, his special sauce in, in, in the insanity of the process. But, but I guess, Alan, the question is, are we going to see a kicked can or are we going to see a true a, a true solution to the debt ceiling? Well, no, no, no. Look, no, I mean, no there's no true solution. Just enough. Every debt ceiling is a kicking the can. 
it's it's an oddment of of, of American history that we have to uh, allow an amount up to an allow, amount of money that we could borrow. We we didn't have to invoke that once upon a time. We could wipe that out and just each year decide yes. We're going to have this amount of deficit spending. Every time we raise it, we raise it with the thought that this, will, this should give us another year, another two years, another three years. So we always kick the can down the road. What The question is how far down the road do we kick it and what gets added to the increase in the debt limit to get enough votes. Right. Okay, yeah, I believe the current debt ceiling um, was, was the gift that uh, – Speaker Boehner gave to, gave to Paul Ryan going out the door to uh, get the debt ceiling out of the way. So this is now Ryan's first debt ceiling that he has to deal with. Well, short of there not being something completely idiotic happening here in Washington, we, I'd like to touch on this subject next week, but I have a feeling that something completely idiotic is going to happen oh, yeah. here in Washington that we'll not be really able to talk about real political stuff. It's going to be this constant barrage of useful knowledge that we bring. But with that, on behalf of uh, Dan Lipner, Esquire, who's on the phone, Dan, thanks for joining us. And here in the studio, uh, we've got uh, the Honorable Alan Moore, Admiral Ken Carradine, myself. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Hey, by the way, neat little fact about this this studio. So uh, for those uh, for those who listen don't do not know, we broadcast from a small studio on the 14th floor of the National Press Club. Uh, this studio is the original broadcast studios for C-SPAN. The first C-SPAN broadcast happened in this studio some almost 35, almost 40 years ago. This was the first call-in show when, they, when um, the head of C-SPAN took a call-in show with the head of the FCC to talk about why they created C-SPAN. Really neat, neat little piece of history on that. I wonder what background politics will be doing in 40 years. Good question. Hopefully that there will be somebody other. What, why do you laugh? Oh, you see, now you guys are just now you guys are just being petty. Good grief. On behalf of Alan Moore, Admiral Ken Carradine, Dan Lipner, I'm your host, Justin Russell. We'll be back next week. At least I will. Screw them all. I'll do it next week from the National Press Club here in Washington, D.C. Special thanks to our our uh, intern, at least for the next couple of weeks, Taylor Schuster. Thanks for set, uh, helping us set this up. We'll be back next week. You can follow us on our uh, Twitter page, at Backroom Politics. You can follow us on our Facebook page. And you can also follow us at our website, www.backroompolitics.org. Have a great week, America. We'll see you next Tuesday. This is Backroom Politics.